It's a suburban crime wave that starts with a friend. Now to an American who survived those blasts at the airport, Sheree Naragi was preparing to head back home here to the U.S. with two deadly bombs exploding. We spoke to her shortly after the attacks yesterday. Good morning. Everybody fired up? You got to be a little bit more interesting than that. Everybody fired up? Yeah, that's better. All right. Hey, I want to do a shout out here to my friend, uh, Ronnie Feist. You want to stand up here, Ronnie? Ronnie, uh, motocross, supercross, freestyle, did a 360. If you don't know what that is, you can figure it out later. With a concussion, a broken wrist, a separated shoulder, I think he had an ankle problem, too, at the X Games. He's won all kinds of uh, awards. And just would you just put your hands together and welcome him here to Influence Church. Amen. Uh, well, I, I just can't resist a lawyer joke when I hear one. So a uh, uh, lawyer was, driving, uh, was uh, on a, f a flight with a, uh, an elderly man. And uh, as they were flying, they, the lawyer was sitting there thinking, you know, I'm smarter than everybody else. And I know I'm smarter than this guy sitting next to me. And uh, so he, he kind of nudged the, uh, the old guy, and he said, hey, uh, let's play a game. And he goes, no, I really don't want to play a game. I just want to sleep. No, let's play a game. Here's the game. You ask, I'll ask you a question. If you can't answer it, you give me $5. And if you ask me a question and I can't answer it, I'll give you $500. Guy says, okay, sounds good. I said, lawyer says, I'll go first. So how far is it from Earth to the moon in miles? The guy said, I don't know. He reaches in his pocket, gives the, the lawyer five bucks. He says, okay, now it's your turn. He said, okay, what goes up the hill with three legs and comes down with four legs? Attorney sits there. He's thinking and he's thinking, and about an hour goes by, and finally he goes, I don't know, and he gives the guy $500. The guy takes the 500 puts it in his pocket, and goes to sleep. Attorney's sitting there thinking, oh, wait a minute now. And he nudges the guy, and he, he wakes him up, and he says, hey, what goes up the hill with three legs comes down with four? The guy goes, I don't know, and hands him $5. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about generosity. I want to talk to you about generosity maybe from a different angle than you would think. Most of the time when you hear the word generosity, you think this is going to be a sermon on giving. But generosity is so much bigger than giving. Uh, I've learned some things about generosity over time. One is that uh, you cannot separate generosity with consistency. People that are generous have a generous spirit. They are always generous. It's a part of their character. It's a part of who they are. Sometimes people will have a burst of generosity. That is, they will, you know, give something. They'll donate something. They'll give their time, their life. They'll do something in a moment but it's not a part of who they are as, as a person. 
In order to have generosity as a part of who you are, it has to be something that's a part of you all the time. But I believe it's something that's learned. I believe it's something you can develop. You see, God is the most generous person in the universe. There's nobody more generous than God. Think about someone who, who offers you everything, his own son, when you don't even know him. You don't know about him. You don't care about God. But he said, I love you so much that I'll give you everything I have. That's generosity. Generosity relies on God to replenish that which you give. See, that's generosity. If you, if you have a spirit of generosity, what you understand is that you cannot outgive God. In fact, everything you do, God will always replenish it. He'll always fill it back up. That's, and a, gener, a, a person with a generous spirit knows that, so what they do is they say, God, I just want to I just want to take you at your word, and I want to be a generous person. You know, last fall, I, I kind of got on a journey of generosity. I just said, God, I want to be more generous than I've ever been in my life. And I didn't really know what that meant. And I, uh, you know, the Bible teaches a tithe is a tenth, and that belongs unto the Lord. I, I think a tithe is your rent check for living on planet Earth. I think that's just the bare minimum. You haven't even given until you've given above a ten. And I just started giving generously way above the 10 and just, and just God, I just crazy stuff. And God just kept bringing back more and more. And I just think, God, I don't even know how this works. You know, last week I told a story. It doesn't mean you don't have problems. Last week I told a story about, you know, tearing my mirror off my car and, and finding out it was $1,000 to fix the mirror. And then on that Saturday before, my ceiling fell in because the air conditioner was leaking and, uh, and it's just stuff. It really is. I just laugh about it. And so I came home, and on the way home, my wife and I were talking, and I said, yeah. She said, it's just stuff, but it's our stuff. And I go, I know, I know. I go over to get some ice out of the ice machine, and I look, and I go, what's this? And there's a big puddle of water. And my ice machine malfunctioned, and there's big icicles inside my refrigerator. So it was like a really bad water week for us. And I know God is teaching me something through it. And all's repaired now, all's back to normal except for the mirror. We're waiting on that. And uh, I just want to say to so many of you who just ex really exemplified a generous spirit and said, let me help you find a mirror. And we've got, you know, I, at this point it looks like I'm going to have about five mirrors coming in. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that's what it means to have a generous spirit, that you just respond in generosity. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here before we jump into our text today. But let me say this, your past does not define you. It prepares you. Everybody in here has a past. And you know, most of the time, the tape that you play in your head is the tape of your past, and usually the negative part of your past. So what happens is you're listening to this stuff that's going on in your head, and you're, you're thinking about, man, I could have done that, I should have done that, or if I only hadn't done that, or I missed that opportunity, or whatever it might be. But I want you to know, even if you failed in the past, it doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't define you. What it does is it prepares you. It sets you up for what God wants to do in your life. Do you realize that the Bible is full of people with a past, people who failed, people who were less than perfect, and God took all of that and he used it in such a marvelous way to catapult them into the future. You might have a setback, but I want you to know with God, you always have a comeback, amen? God is always about that. Also, keep this in mind, life is a collection of miracles. You do well to look for them. 
Every day is a miracle in your life. Every opportunity that every person you encounter is a miracle of God. It's God arranging people and circumstances into your life in such a way that he wants to bless you and he wants to catapult you into a future that he has designed for you. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5 today, and uh, I want to talk about generosity. It's, it's kind of an unusual passage to talk about generosity, but if you understand, uh, when you'll, I think you'll understand this, this message as we work through it. It's a story about a guy by the name of Naaman, and Naaman was a leper. And to, to be a leper in that day was the greatest stigma you could have. Because you were seen to be unclean and, and you were an outcast of society and nobody would want you around because they feared that they would catch your leprosy. But this story is a bit unusual because we see that generosity ignites the miraculous. Let me show you what I mean. Now Naaman, verse 1, was a commander in the army of the king of Syria. He was great and an honorable man in the eyes of his master. Right there, it's unusual. The master who had this commander was able to look past his leprosy. He was able to see something in him that was different. You see, I believe this master had a generous spirit. He could have found another commander. I'm sure he was criticized for embracing this one with leprosy as his commander. But he didn't do that. He had a generous spirit about him. And it says here that this Naaman was great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. And look, because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, not only was the master able to look past his leprosy, but God looked past his leprosy. And God said, I don't care if you do have leprosy, I'm going to make you great in the army of Syria. You see, every one of us have a leprosy of a sort. Every one of us have something that we look at in our life and we say it was a failure, you don't measure up, you might have been raised in a, in a home that wasn't nurturing, you might, you might have been abused, you might have been in jail, you might have been anywhere, everywhere, but you know what? God overlooks it. God says he, he sees you for who you are, the person that he created you to be. Created in the image of God, he has a divine purpose for you and he wants you to understand what he's about. It goes on to say he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Have you ever noticed that in everybody's life there's always a comma and a but? Well, I'm, I'm really good at this, but. I love God, but. And there's always a disclaimer we put at the end to try to, to, to explain how we don't measure up or we're not perfect or we're lacking in something in our life. And God wants us to understand that I can take that out of your life. You know, what I think, you know what I think is really cool? Is God, not only did he see past the leprosy, but he knew what he was going to do in Naaman's life, and he was going to heal him of his leprosy, which is a really cool thing. You know, in life, um, I've learned that there's three kinds of people in the world, and you might want to write this down because this will stick with you. This is good. First kind of people are people that are for you. They're just really for you. They love you. They will be there for you. They're not going to tell you everything you want to hear. They're not going to just agree with you if you're wrong, but they're for you. They love you. Then there are people that are for what you're for. If you're for a football team or you're for a political candidate, they'll be for you. But if you change your political view, you change your team, then they're really not your friend anymore. 
Then there are people who are against what you're against. So if you're against a certain thing, then they're on your team. Yeah, I don't like them either. And then, and then, and then you change and you say, well, I, I think maybe they're okay. Then all of a sudden they cease to be your friend. The confusion comes when you mistake a person who is for what you're for with a person who's for you. Because you see, in the end, what you really want is who's going to be for you, really love you. I started writing a book probably 15 years ago called Five Relentless Friends. And my whole theory was this. I'd go up to a guy and I'd say, tell me how many guys are in your life who you would say would be there to the bitter end through the very hardest and most difficult times of life. How many would you say you have? Do you think you have five? And most guys would say, I'd be lucky to get three. And I thought, how sad that we could live our life and maybe not be able to come up with five guys or gals in our life who would be there through everything in life. But I want you to know, Naaman had a guy who was, and he was his master. You know, in the story here, we, uh, we see that he had, had it all. Really, Naaman had it all, but he was a leper. He was admired by his master, but you know what? He was a leper. He was victorious in battle, but he was a leper. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Robert Morris put it like this, the days of the blessed person are filled with divine coincidences and heavenly meetings. You know, when you walk with God, God's going to bring situations to bear in your life that are going to be of such divine coincidence, you're going to say, how did that happen, or what's that all about? I want to tell you a story about a guy in our church. His name is Fred Crow. Some of you know Fred. He was in our first service. But Fred just celebrated on April 23rd nine years of a double lung transplant. And I, now, you know, I mean, that, that alone is amazing, right? But the real story is that Fred has a generous spirit. Fred got up every day. He went to work for over a year with his oxygen tank. He never missed a day of work. He worked hard, and when they would call him and say, you know what, you're on the list, and, and, uh, and we might be close, and Fred would always say, you know, I'm sure there's somebody that needs it more than me. See, that's a generous spirit. Put somebody in front of yourself. Finally, the day came, and they said, uh, well, actually, let me back up a little bit, because they said when he went to Cedar sinai he said, I want the youngest doctor you have. They said, why do you want the youngest doctor? I want the most inexperienced doctor you have. Well, why do you want the youngest, most inexperienced doctor? Because he's going to be creative. He's he's not going to think inside the box. So he got a young guy to be his doctor. Well, the day came on April 23rd, nine years ago, and they gave Fred a call, and they said, we have lungs. You need to drop everything you're doing and come to the hospital as soon as possible. Fred went down there. He received lungs from a young man in his 20s who was in a car accident and was an organ donor. Fred got those lungs, and later on in life, later as he got through that, that illness and he got through, that, that, through that, that recovery process, he called up Cedar sinai and said, mention the doctor's name, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to the doctor. And they said, we don't have a doctor here by that name. And he looked at his wife, Diet, and said, now wait a minute, didn't we have doctor so-and-so? And yes, we did. Now, I don't know what happened to that doctor, I don't know where that doctor came from. This is what Fred told me last night when we were having the conversation. He said, it was almost like he was specially appointed for me in that season in my life to bless me 
and to provide me with the set of lungs that I needed. You see, that's a divine coincidence. I don't know whether that was an angel, whether the guy changed his name, whether he wasn't really a doctor, he was just acting like a doctor. It doesn't matter. Fred got two lungs, amen? And you know what? Here's the thing. When God starts to work in your life, he will bring situations to bear on you and in you and through you in such an amazing way that you'll go, how did that happen? I don't understand what God is up to. That's the kind of miraculous God we serve, and that's the kind of miraculous God we want to to follow, amen? Let me go on with the story. Generosity is a kingdom principle. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. Here's a divine coincidence. So now watch how God is weaving this story. She waited on Naaman's wife, the leper. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Do you see how she had a spirit of generosity? She could have been bitter. She could have said, well, I, it's good that you have leprosy. You've taken me out of my home. You've made me a captive here in your land. You deserve to have leprosy. And, or she could have thought to, the, to, the, to his wife, well, you know, you deserve to have a leper. Look, you make me do all your chores. You do all this work. But you know what? She didn't have a spirit of bitterness. She had a spirit of generosity. And she said, you know what? If only your husband could meet the prophet who is in Israel. That would change your life. Go look what it says. The king of Syria then thus said uh, the girl to, who is from the land of Israel, then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed. He took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Do you see what he had? He had a spirit of generosity. The king said, you know what? Here's the gold, here's the silver, and here's the clothes. You go. He had a spirit of generosity. No, did he give him the money because he thought he was going to have to buy this gift of healing? But he let him go. He said, you're an important part in my army, but I'm going to let you go. A spirit of generosity. Let me ask you something. Do you have a spirit of generosity? When I was young, my mom had a friend who developed cancer, and her doctor said, you know, Betty, you need to do something to take your mind off of your illness. Why don't you go to the YMC and take paint classes? And Betty thought that was a good idea, so she called up my mom. And I didn't realize until I really began to think about it, my mom had a spirit of generosity. And my mom said, you know what? I've never drawn anything, never painted anything, but I'll go with you, and and I'll take some art classes with you. Well, my mom went, and she supported her friend Betty. But by the third class, the instructor said, I can't teach you anything. You're already better than I am. Eventually, my mom ended up becoming an art instructor. My mom painted. I have over 100 paintings of hers in my house. My mom, out of something that she didn't even know, had a talent, a latent talent that was given by God. She became that person who could paint, and she would never sell her paintings. She would give them away, but she would never sell them. Well, later on in life, my mom became a little bit uh, needing some more care, and so we invited her to come live with us. We were living in New Jersey at the time. We said, why don't you come out and live with us? And she was planning that, and then she said, you know, I'm not going to live with you. I want to get, uh, I want to go into a senior home. I said, Mom, that's crazy. Why do you want to do that? She says, well, I've got money to do it, and, and, and I just, she said, and I said, Mom, really, why do you want to do that? She said, you know what? I don't want to interfere with your life. I've lived my life. 
I've raised children. I've done all of this. Now I want you to have the freedom to do that and not worry about me. And I said, Mom, that doesn't even make sense. But she insisted and we got her a place fairly close to us. We went and saw her every day. Now, I've already informed my children that I do not have that same spirit of generosity. I want to be moved in. I want to be waited on hand and foot 24-7. Amen? (laughs) So my mom was over there, and one day I was visiting, and she said, you know all these people over here, they're just kind of lonely. I said, well, Mom, are you lonely? Well, not really. I miss your dad, but not really. She said, but they need something to do. They need to take their mind off of this stuff. And I said, well, Mom, what do you got in mind? She said, I'm going to have an art show. I want you to bring all the paintings over. We're going to set them up. I'm going to talk to these women about getting a hobby. And and she had that spirit of generosity. You see, do you have a spirit of generosity where you bring people into your life and you you bless them beyond what you have? When When you do that, I think what you do is you really let people see Christ in you. The most generous person, we began by saying the most generous person on earth is God. You see, what you're going to find out is that God is going to bring people into your life with a generous spirit. And you know why he does it? He's going to bring them into your life as a test to see if you're going to be generous. Because when, he, when God brings somebody into your life with a generous spirit and they're generous to you and then you, you, you're tight-fisted with what's your time or your talent or your money or whatever else you have, then God is just going to stop that flow of generosity in your life and you're going to go, wait a minute, what happened to that generosity? Where did that go? And you see, whenever I've, I've, I've seen people, when they, they hold it so tight, they hold their money so tight like this, and God is pouring blessings down, but they can't grab it because their hand is, tw- is, is like a fist. Instead of opening it up like this and saying, God, would you just fill my life? And then when it gets full, you just dump it upside down and say, God, would you refill it? God, would you refill it? God, would you refill it? And God just begins to bless you beyond measure of what you could ever, ever imagine. You see, I believe that when you have a spirit of generosity, you embrace transformational moments. Do you know that sometimes somebody will come in your life and it's a transformational moment? You don't know what it is. You just think they're a nice person. And you'll miss out on what God is really trying to do. They're doing, God is doing something to transform your life. But remember, generosity is risky. It's very risky. Do you realize that the most generous person, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave his life for mankind, but it was risky because you know why? Some could reject it. You see, when you do something generous for someone, you run the risk that they're going to say, no, thank you. Or they're going to think you've got a motive. You know, the other day I was opening the door. This is my pet peeve. You want to know my pet peeve? I opened the door for somebody. And uh, right out here at the, mail, at the U.S. Postal Service, I opened the door. The guy had a box. He walked in, didn't even say thank you. I tripped him, grabbed that box, put it in my car. <laughs> no, but I have to admit, I didn't do that. Some of you are going to go out and say I did, but I didn't. But you know what, in my heart, you know what I thought? You could at least say thank you. And then God said, why did you do it? Did you do it for a thank you? Why did you do it? You've got to always go back to the motive. What's going on? It's risky. Bill Johnson said like this, if you live cautiously, you will have, your friends will call you wise, but you just won't move many mountains. 
You realize that Jesus said, if you want to see how generous I am, I'm going to put the, you can put the biggest obstacle in front of you, a mountain, and I'm going to give you the power and the authority to speak to the mountain and to move it out of its place. You see, sometimes we look at things, we say they're too big, that's too big of a miracle, that's too big of an obstacle, I can't get through it. And God says, no, I'm going to put a mountain in front of you. Will you stand there and speak to the mountain? You know, sometimes miracles don't happen instantly, right? We've seen people healed here instantly. We've seen people that, that it took several times, several months to be healed, and, and we don't know the answer to that. We've, we've prayed for people to get pregnant, and they haven't, and we've prayed for people to get pregnant, and they have. And now Sean was in our church earlier this morning. You know, he prayed, you know, you know they adopted a child, and then they got pregnant, and then they got pregnant again. Now he's saying, please quit praying. You know, I'm the product. My, my, my mom was told she couldn't have children. I came late. My dad was 50. They'd given up hope. I am a miracle child. By my birth, nothing else about me, but by my birth, right? I am a miracle child. They didn't expect that. God did something special there. And after being, having a 10-pound baby and being in labor 24 hours, she didn't want any more miracles, Amen. But you see, you don't know the hand of God and the timing of God and what's going on in, 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 in the mystery of God. I read a story just the other day about some, some people that were traveling in the, in the 1800s across the west there. They, they got into Nevada, I believe, or Utah, and uh, they were out of water, and they, they found a place where they thought there was water. They began to dig. They got about two feet down, and they said there's no water, and they ended up dying there. Later, a town would be established in that place, and when they went there, they, they went back to the place where they dug, and they said, maybe we should try digging here, because they had actually tried, maybe they knew something about it, and they dug, and at three feet, they hit water. They'd only dug two feet. Do you realize how close you might be to winning? You see, sometimes we give up too soon. We say, well, I tried that and nothing happened. I did this and nothing happened. No, God says just keep going. Generosity, generosity reveals God's plan. When you begin to become a generous person, you begin to just flow in life and just say, you know what, I'm just going to be generous, just going to bless people, then I believe God is going to do something. Look at 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 14, the rest of the story. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots. He stood at the door of Elisha's house. All of a sudden, he finds himself at the prophet. Elisha sent a messenger out to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. You know what's neat about this story? Elisha didn't even go out. He said, this is such a small miracle. I'm gonna, I'm, who's the newest guy on my team? I'm gonna send the, the messenger out with the least experience. Go out there and just time to wash seven times. Why did he do that? Do you realize that some of the faith responses that you have in life are counterintuitive? That God doesn't want you to go by some prescribed manner. Look what he says here. But Naaman became furious. And he went away and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out, stand, call on the name of his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. You know what he wanted? He wanted religion. He wanted ritual. He wanted to be recognized. Whenever you want to be recognized, whenever you want to uh, uh, ritual and whatever you want religion, you're probably going to be disappointed because God wants to do it in his own way. God always works in his own way. 
And then he look what he says. Naaman becomes so angry. He says, are not the Abana and the far, far, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. He was angry. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. You know what I love about this is? Why seven times? Why seven times? Why not five times or four times or three times or two times? You know, I think that it was seven times because number seven is a divine number in Scripture, but I think further it was. Can you imagine? Naaman goes down the first time and he looks at his men and he says, do I look any better? Is any of the leprosy gone? Second time, how about now? And the men are going, no, you look exactly the same. How about now? No, exactly the same. And how about now? No, six times. And I'm sure it's six times he's saying, you know what, this is ridiculous. But I'm going to do, I'm going to go through. And the seventh time the Bible says he came up with the flesh of a little child. Do you realize that you might be on the sixth or the fifth or the fourth plunge into faith And if you don't persevere, if you don't stick to the fight, if you give up too soon, you're going to miss out on what God wants to do in you and through you. You'll miss the hand of God because you said, you know what, I tried that and it didn't work. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging is all uphill, When the debts are high and the funds are low, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to the faint and faltering one who learned how too late how close he was to the golden crown. Do not give up. Do not give up. You stick to what God has put in your heart. You persevere through it all. You see, seven times, seven times, you see, faith requires persistence. Never turn your disappointment into anger. That's what happened to Naaman. He was disappointed. He became angry. He was angry at God. He was angry at the prophet. He was probably angry in life. He was an angry person because they allowed the disappointment and the setbacks of life to make them angry. Anger does not work the righteousness of God. It never does. See, we hear voices all the time. We hear voices of confusion. Some of those voices are negative voices like an invading army, and they say, that's not going to work. We'll hear a voice like a voice of fear. Oh, you can't do that. I'm afraid. What's going to happen? But we forget that nothing is too great for God. We hear a voice of failure. That's to distract you from your destiny. We need to learn to listen to the right voice, the voice of hope and love and of a future. You see, Bill Johnson, to quote him again, said, our hearts are the gates through which the spirit realm intercedes with the, with the natural realm, and our thoughts are, and words open these gates. Now think about that. The thoughts and the words, they open the gates of the spiritual realm. Do you realize we begin to think about the spiritual realm? Do you realize it's as real as the natural realm if you're in the spirit? I always like to ask this question. Um, how many of you think I could walk through that wall back there? Raise your hand. Okay, got about three of them. Okay. Uh, I promise you I can walk through that wall if time is not an issue. What I can do is if I walk through that wall in the year 2000, a year before this building was built, I walked through that wall. 
You see, the reason that Jesus could pass through a wall was because he was not restricted by time or space. So the wall becomes no obstacle to him. That's why in eternity, time doesn't become relevant. One of the questions I get all the time is, especially from the ladies, is this one. How old will we be in heaven? In other words, I don't want to wait too long and look bad for eternity. Should I bail out now? You see, it's a totally irrelevant question. Because you see, you have a natural body, 1 Corinthians 15, and you have a spiritual body. Your spiritual body is what lives in eternity, and your spiritual body is the true essence of who you are. The true essence of who you are will be reflected in who you, in, in who you appear to be in eternity. People say to me all the time, well, you know, I'm going to have a lot of questions when I get to heaven. I said, you will not have one question when you get in heaven. Here's why. Because the Bible says you will know as you have been known. So what, what he knows about you, you will know then about you and about life in eternity because you will know as you have been known. You see, God has never learned anything. Think about this. He's never had an aha moment. He's never wondered, pondered, sought advice. He knows all things as well as he knows anything else. That God says of you, about you, you will know as you've been known. Everything I know about you, you're going to know. Every question you have, you will instantly know you will not have to be at, you will not have to ask me a question at all because you're instantly going to know it. That's the transformation that comes from the spiritual realm when you move into eternity. And that's why we're so foolish to ignore the kingdom and the spiritual kingdom of God because his kingdom operates totally different. For example, let's talk about generosity. Let's talk about giving for a moment. You see, when I, when I respond to God in giving, the Bible says I'm storing up treasure in heaven, right? Now, we assume that that's so when we get there, we've got something to spend. Makes sense, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's a lot of people who are going to be sadly disappointed who've been extremely frugal with their money, maybe even accused of being cheap on earth, who are going, but, but they have great wealth here on earth, but they're, going to be, they're really going to be paupers in heaven. But watch what else they do. When I deposit in my heavenly account now on earth, I can also draw from it here on earth. Malachi chapter 3 says that when I honor God in my tithes and offerings, he opens the windows of heaven and brings down upon me a blessing beyond my, my, what I can even receive. So I can access the kingdom on earth now. That's what Jesus meant when he said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as, as the kingdom is operating in the spiritual realm, you can access it now, you can spend it now, you can use it for the glory, and you'll be able to use it then because it's always replenishing. Remember, in the kingdom, everything replenishes itself. That's why there's so many illustrations, for example, about the woman with the oil. Remember, it takes a little cruise of oil and she pours it in there, and it doesn't run out until she runs out of pots. Her ability to accumulate the number of vessels to fill it up was the only limitation on the oil. God is always teaching kingdom principles on the idea of replenishing everything he does. He says, you got some seed, you put it in the ground. You're afraid to put it in the ground. What if I go hungry? I'm going to eat the seed. No, you eat the seed, you can't plant the seed. But if you plant the seed, some will bring forth 60, some 100, some 1,000 fold. 
But you have to be willing to take the risk and be generous and put your seed into the ground, cover it up with dirt, and let it die. It germinates, it brings forth life, and it brings forth more than you ever put in. It's a kingdom principle. How about power? You know, we have certain limitations of power. We have certain strength, right? I could look over here, you guys who do CrossFit, and you lift all these barbells. Melissa, I mean, I don't even know. It's just unbelievable to me what you do. I think it's fake. She puts, like, she puts like 545s on this bar on each side and then lifts it above her head. I'm going, that's not real. But I believe it, and I'm not challenging you right now because I know you could beat me up. But, <laughs> but think about it. We think about power. And we take a certain amount of force to move something, but God has all power. Don't miss this. God has all power. God moves a universe as easy as he moves a pencil. He's never grown stronger. He's never grown weaker. He's never diminished. That's why that question, could God make a rock so big he can't pick up, it's a stupid question because God expends no energy. He has all strength. Weight only has bearing on earth. It has no bearing in eternity. The God who can do that has all power and authority, and he says, I give it unto you. When we don't access the spiritual realm, what we do is we neglect to move with the power of God and transform our world into the world that God wants us to be. So what are you going to do with it? I'll give you a couple of life applications. Here's one. Have you ever noticed how generosity is admired by all? You ever, you ever been to a, a hospital and seen a, a plaque that said, you know, this was dedicated by the most selfish man in the world who gave nothing? No. Everybody loves generosity. It's admired by all. Selfishness is never admired. Never admired. The guy who refuses to pick up the check every time you go out to dinner is not admired. You might be getting a free lunch, but you know what? You're paying dearly for it. Generosity opens heaven. When you're generous, heaven opens up to you. You begin to see what God can do. Let me just give you this scripture from Ecclesiastes. He who desires money will never be satisfied with it. He who desires money will never be satisfied. There will never be enough. It's like a bag with a hole in it. You fill it up and it's always going out. You go, where'd that all that money go? All that money go, all that money go. Generosity in heaven on earth is powerful. Jesus Christ, the most generous person on earth, the most generous person in heaven, he gave everything for you. Let's stand together and pray. Our God is a generous God. So generous is our God that he gave his only son for you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There are no limitations on what God wants to do in you and through you. You can be in the middle of the biggest crisis and problem in life, but you experience the generosity of God and you find contentment and peace and joy even in a storm. The disciples learned that principle when they were in a boat in a storm. And all it took was one word from Jesus to say to the winds and the waves, be still. Right now, I believe God is saying to the winds and the waves in your life, be still. Just be still. And he's gave you power and authority to speak the same words. Would you say to the winds and the waves of your life, be still. 
I take authority over that in the name of Jesus Christ. That great act of generosity of him dying on the cross, being buried and risen from the dead, that's for you. If you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, would you do that right now? Would you call on his name right now and be saved? It's so simple, it's almost, seems too simple to, to, to say, but God just looks at your heart and your faith. Would you call on his name right now? You could pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I believe you for that salvation right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was your prayer, God answered that prayer. Did you pray that prayer today? Would just our heads bow? Would you just lift your hand up and say, testify to God, God, I prayed that prayer today. I came into the kingdom. Amen. God bless you. Anybody else? Amen. Just raise your hand up. That was my prayer. God bless you. Now, now, as a believer, the rest of you who say, I know I'm, I'm, I know Him. I know I'm, I've been born again. Are you living a generous life? Are you living a generous life? Do so today, would you? I want to just have your attention here for a moment. I have a $20 bill here. Who wants it? You want it? Okay. I'm going to give it to you in just a minute. Okay. So if I take this $20 bill and I crumble it up, how much is it worth? Help me out. It's worth $20. If I take it outside and I stomp it on the ground and I drive my car over it, how much is it worth? It's still worth $20, right? It doesn't lose its value. If I tear it, how much is it worth? $20. Still worth $20, right? You know what? You and I are like the $20 bill. Except we're worth so much more. You might be crumbled up. You might be torn. You might be stomped underfoot. But God says you're still worth everything I put into you. You're worth Jesus Christ who died, rose from the dead, and ever sits at the right hand of the Father to give you life and give it eternal. And I love you and I smile upon you and you may have failed, but you are not a failure. And I am with you wherever you go. No good thing do I withhold from them that walk uprightly. You're like a royal diadem in the hand of God. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you immensely. Isn't that a good word? Amen, that's a good word. Okay, this $20 bill comes with a condition, so come get your 20. All right, will you, will, will you adhere to the rules of this $20 bill? Here they are. You have to go to the coffee shop, and you can buy yourself a coffee, and everybody who lines up behind you, you buy their coffee, so you have a spirit of generosity. There you go, all right. days cost me 40 bucks. I want you to know that. I, I don't turn in a reimbursement for that, but I got to tell you what happened at the first service. So I finished preaching and a lady came up to me and she handed me a bill in her and, and, uh, and said, here, I want you, I want to bless you. I want to be generous to you. And I reached in my pocket somewhere and she gave me a $50 bill. I spent 40. I made 10. Amen. Now, if some of you give me a couple of hundreds, I'll really be ahead today, but amen. But here, I, I, you know what, I didn't, you know, I don't, seriously, don't bring me any money, okay? Well, okay, you can. But seriously, just practice it. Practice generosity. You'll feel so good. You'll just feel like a better person. 
You don't have to spend $20. You can spend a dollar. You can just do something. Do something for somebody, you know, and bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, let me just bless you as we go out. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you and gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May you find generosity in the depth of your soul, and may you be consistent to bless all around you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.